So today, we're going to wrestle with a question. What does holiness look like today as we flourish in exile? And I'm going to tell you right now, there's a lot of you that are going to have more questions than answers. Because we as a church have to unlearn some things for us to go seek what God is trying to teach us today. And I've been sitting in in four weeks, and I'm barely just getting my head wrapped around this. So I fully expect that today you're going to have questions. You're going to wrestle. You're going to pause and reflect and be like, ah, I don't know if I believe that. And I'm going to tell you right now, that's okay. That's okay. Because you know what? I think Jesus was asked something around 400 questions in the Bible, and guess how he responded to those 400 questions? With a question. Jesus asked more questions than he actually got asked. And sometimes we need to do the same thing. And so as I was thinking on this today, I, I asked my wife, I said, okay, holiness. When was a time that you remember a holy moment? And what was that holy moment? And so she told me about a time when we were in Haiti. This was in 2002, and it was her first trip into Haiti. And we had a time of reflection on Sundays, and where we would go and, and we would break off from the team, and we would sit and we would reflect, kind of like we just did in prayer here. And she went up into her room, and, and she was on the outside of, or inside her room, but is the outside of the building. And so she sat here with the window right above her, and pretty soon she starts hearing these giggles, these, these you know, this, this little rustling of kids. You know how kids are playing outside and you, you can hear them and you sense them and you know they're there. And so she's sitting there and, and she, she thinks, I think God's telling me to sing. So she starts singing, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. And pretty soon these little giggles, this little high voice responds back, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. In Creole, in their own voice. And she goes on and she starts singing. And again, we're 2002. Shout to the Lord, all the earth, let us sing. And little giggles start happening. And they start, and then all of a sudden you hear, Shout to the Lord of the earth, let us sing. And back and forth they went in this holy moment where language didn't matter, where cultural, where I come from didn't matter, where skin color didn't matter, where in joy they sat together and they sang back and forth to each other. And so since Alan so callously cut us off in our community time earlier today, I want us in our communities <laughs> to wrestle with this question and to ask this. And, and I am going to ask for some people to share some stories because I think it's in our stories that God reveals things, is think of a time in your life when you've experienced a holy moment. Whether you've experienced it yourself, whether you've seen a holy moment, you know, that time when you, you have that time where you're like, I am in the presence of the Holy of Holies here, and I can sense it and I can feel it. 
And as you ponder that, and whether you want to verbalize this out loud or not, but think about what ushered in that holiness. What preceded that? What was the things that led up to that holiness coming into that moment? And so as groups, I want you to share your stories, and then I'm going to have a mic, and I'm going to, I want to hear a couple stories. I think the Lord is anointing some things that will help us in our teaching time as we wrestle this together. So since Alan cut you off, I'm going to let you go back again, talk about a holy moment in your life, and go. All right, I pray that God has told someone in this group or a couple people to share a little bit about their holy moments. Um, is there anyone that would be the first willing victim to be able to share their story? Willing participant. Any hand up anywhere? One over here? All right. Last year, um, well, a few years ago, my grandma passed away. And so last year, um, I went away, kind of prayed, and I, left, I held my hand out, and I felt somebody was holding my hand. Amen. Amen. Thank you for sharing. Another story. Who else? All right, got one back here, Laura. It kind of goes with that, I think, with death. Um, I'm a nurse. I've been a nurse for about 25 years, so uh, those are holy moments. I have a a lot of those, but one in particular, and one that I'm really struck with coming out of the other service today, is that I think holiness does not need words, and often we mess it up when we try to talk. And so my holy moment, uh, one of the most significant at a deathbed was uh, a lady who was Asian. She didn't speak my language. Um, I didn't know her culture. She was in tremendous emotional pain. I didn't know how to enter that. So everything I had been taught, every sermon, every song, I, I couldn't connect. So I just prayed, Lord, help, help. And she stood about as far away as Mary is to me. And as I prayed, she, I think her culture was not a physical touch, so I just stayed about that far. She kept edging closer to me until our upper arms were touching. And once our upper arms touched, she released sobbing. Like, I've, you know, it was, it was amazing. She released sobbing. And I was reminded that no words were needed. In fact, it was pretty humbling. And at the end of the night, um, I think her husband hung on. I don't think he, I don't remember him dying my shift. But as I left, she was tiny, like four feet. And she lifted up her little arms to me. And I gave a hug. And again, no words. Mm, that's awesome. Thank you, Laura. Praise God. One more. Well, like God does, um, during the worship service, um, he brought me back to a holy place before <laughs> you had even mentioned this, which was really cool. But several years ago, um, Don used to be in the reserves for Marion County, and so he would go away on Saturday nights, and I'd put the boys to bed, and God speaks to me through music a lot. And so I was just at the piano, and I was just worshiping. And his holiness became so heavy that my body physically kept moving slower and slower and slower. And I was literally almost laying on the keys. I couldn't speak. I couldn't hardly move because his holiness was so real. And it was just, and he brought me back to that place this morning. 
So. Awesome. Thank you. Females, you guys rock. Dudes, you got work to do. <laughs> um, so here's the key message I'm going to hit on. And these three stories absolutely exemplified this. Um, if you could go to the, the key statement um, slide. is holiness looks like a relationship grounded in humility and held together by grace. Now repeat that. Holiness looks like a relationship grounded in humility and held together by grace. Go to the rules versus, versus relationship. Now if you're like me, and you grew up in church. Um, I've been in church my whole life. When I thought of holiness, and again, holiness means to be consecrated or set aside, which we all get that, but to be used for God's purposes. Sometimes we forget that. Is that I lean on the rules side. The rules are what create holiness, right? I follow these rules, I become holy. The rules are what create me holy. I do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. But God in his love and his mercy has, has come to me and wrecked me. And I'm going to go back to scripture. We're going to show this. Because holiness is not about rules. It's about relationship. Every single thing of these things we talked about where it was me or my wife singing with some children in Haiti to a grandmother passing away and feeling a touch of a hand to come beside you to a widow who, or a wife whose husband is dying and no words were needed, it was just physically being there, to music washing over us and drawing us into his presence had nothing to do with rules that we followed. It was a relationship that was connected back to Jesus. Show um, Bristol's slide, please. And so Bristol laid this out just so well last week about what this means. And, you know, ultimately there's this pipeline that we have that goes up to the level four cosmos where we connect into, to the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the unseen realm. But the problem is a lot of times is we get caught up in level three and that we think that what we can see, what we can grasp is all that matters for us to be able to bring in holiness. And so when we depend upon the culture to drip on us and that that's going to be the thing we're connecting to, we will dry up. And weeds will come and they will grow. But when we again connect to the, the holies of holies and through that he reshapes our identity at level one. He then reshapes our relationships in community level two. He restores the kingdom and ushers in his holiness within us and within our communities. And Bristol laid that out so well last week. And again, we wrestle with because the unseen is hard. Because we don't see it. I mean, I would love to go and say, you know what? I've got these rules and these regulations, and I can follow these rules and regulations because that's black and white, and that's easy, and relationships are hard, and they're messy, and they require us to do things that are unseen. They require us to put faith in things that we can't see. But if you look for the kingdom of heaven, you can see them everywhere. But do you have eyes to see? Are we entering this space where we can feel that touch and that relationship? Are we standing with, with our family and we praying to God after our grandmother's passed away and allow God to be seen in us? 
Are we standing with those people that are hurting and broken and we allowing God to come and say, I can be here, but you have to stop and be with me. Connect with me. Okay. So we're going we're gonna to ground this in biblical truth because, again, I know there's pushback. Because, again, we're like, literally, one of the comments was to, to Kevin was, is now we as a church, we're not going to go easy on sin, are we? And I get it, because that's where I'm at too. It's like, how, how, when we start talking about this relationship and grace and humility, that must mean automatically that we are, are light on sin. That is right from level three. That is right from the demons. That is not in this book. That is not what Jesus taught. And we got to get that out of our head, church. And we got to live in the tension. Because how do we, how do we stand and be used by God, be consecrated, set aside, and at the same time engage with his world on earth and bring heaven to here? And you know what? Tension means we get stronger. You don't lift weights because somehow that means you're going to get weaker. You lift weights, you break down your muscles, you don't have, you, sometimes you can't even get the bar off your chest, and you got to have someone to come and help pick it up, but you know you're getting stronger because you're in the tension. And both sides are wrong. Both sides of where I'm going to live in my little Christian huddle, I'm going to put my walls up, I'm going to only communicate with people that I know, only people that look like me, only people that are like me, I'm going to be here and you know, heaven forbid that I talk to anybody outside of that, and this is more easy, because ultimately it's more easy, that doesn't allow you to grow, and vice versa. If you basically say, oh, whatever's whatever, I can do whatever because grace, and I can just go sin and do whatever, you know, that's perfectly fine. Um, you know, there's no tension there either. It's in the tension that God works. And we got to be people that stand in that tension. That's what God's calling us to. All right, let's get to Pastor. Let's get, let's get to Scripture because God will work more than my words will. All right, 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16. It's on page 1,200 in your book, and we are going to jump around quite a bit. So um, I'm going to really ground this in Scripture so you cannot say, well, that wasn't very Scripture-based. All right, so 1 Peter 1, 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace. There's that word grace. Given, to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. And I want to point out in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. So first off, we are not holy because something that we have done. We are only holy because it's Jesus Christ that has come before us, and God looks at us through Jesus Christ. That is why we are holy. And because of that, we can stand in front of a, a God that has every right to throw us and cast us out, and we can stand in front of him holy. Not because of something we do, but because something that Jesus has done for us. And in that in all you do, which means every aspect of life. It's not that you just, you know, you do things here, but you don't do it here. In all aspects of life, in your work, in your play, in your relationships, in your family, in your, 
in your, you know, things that you would say like, you know, sports events. Like, yes, I'm not saying God cares exactly what the score is, but he cares about the relationships you're building through that. He can use all things for the good of what he's doing. So now let's go over to Leviticus, Leviticus 19. It's on page 116, 117. Because whenever I think about relationships, I think about Leviticus. Um, God does have a sense of humor. I will give him that. Because I think last time I preached in here, again, I was talking about we aren't, you know, we're new covenant people. And, um, you know, that let's talk what Jesus talked about. And what's the passage that, that again brings me next? It's Leviticus. Um, but God is, God is a gracious God. And he continues to bring things before you. So I'm going to read, I'm going to skip around in Leviticus 19. We're going to go verses 1 through 4 to start with. Then we're going to go over to 9 through 16, 33 and 37. So verse 19. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Each of you must respect his mother and father and you must observe my Sabbath. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make or, or make gods of cast metal for yourselves. I am the Lord your God. Now jump to verse, 19, or verse 9, please. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not deceive one another. Do not swear falsely by, your, by my name and so profound the name of your God. I am the Lord. Do not defraud your neighbor or rob him. Do not hold back the wages of a hired man overnight. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God. I am the Lord. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. And now verse 33, when an alien lives with you in your land, do not mistreat him. And in verse 37, keep all my decrees and all the laws and follow them. I am the Lord. Now, again, the first time I read this, I look at this and I'm like, well, that's a lot of do's and don'ts, right? That's a lot of relation, like uh, rule-based things, not relationship. But what we have to understand about Leviticus 19 this was written for the Israelites pre-Jesus. So God, who is a holy God, and there is no doubt, God is a holy God. In his love, he created a way for the Israelites, Israel, to connect to him in relationship. This is love letters from God himself written to his people to say, if you want to be in relationship with me and I want to be in relationship with you, here's what we need to do. And you look at this in the first part, verses 1 through 4, it's all about how do we create and go into relationship with God? How do we enter and walk into relationship with the holies of holies, the king of kings? Verses 9 through 16 is how do we do relationship with others? How do we be in community with others? And that's, that's basically, again, what God was trying to get across, is how do you connect with me in love, in relationship, and how do we connect with others? Leviticus, Leviticus 19 is a love letter written by God to his people so they could connect with him. Now, later in, in this, this good book, he does something even better. 
and he sends Jesus. So now, let's jump over to Matthew 22. Matthew 22, it's on page 980 if you've got a pew Bible. So in Matthew 22, 34 through 40. Hearing that, Jesus had silenced the Sadducees and the Pharisees. The Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest, the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the laws and the prophets, all of Leviticus, all of the Ten Commandments hang on these two commandments. So Jesus, in his love, said, okay, there's all these rules, and it's obvious for me being here, these rules are a hang-up to you having a relationship with me and with God. So I'm going to narrow this down for you guys because I love you, and I want to give you a way to enter into this. And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, which is the first part of Leviticus 19, and love your neighbors as yourself. Relationship. How do we have relationship with God, with others? And why do we need relationship? So that we can be holy. And when we are holy, then we can be used and set aside for God. We can flourish in exile. We can flourish in times of plenty. We can flourish in times of little. We can flourish in times when the media and the government is pro-God, pro-Jesus, pro-kingdom. We can flourish when they're in persecution, when they're like down with the Christians. Because it doesn't matter. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And if you do that, I will bring holiness. And you will be used for the kingdom. That's how we flourish in exile. Now jump over to me with Acts 11. And again, we did a huge study on Acts 11. Uh, earliest year, so I'm not going to hit on everything, but I want to point something out. Because again, Peter is a Leviticus Jew. He grew up with the laws and the rules and all this stuff, and he still could not figure it out, even though he was with Jesus for how much time? And so Jesus came to him in a dream, and he showed him There is a new covenant that you are going to be fulfilling now, okay? That old, it was there for a time and a season, and that's been fulfilled. Now there's a new law and a new covenant. And in verse 8, he says, surely not, Lord. And he's talking about breaking Levitical rules that I'm going to eat the unclean and I'm going to be with the unclean. He says, surely not, Lord, nothing impure and has ever entered my heart, I, my mouth. I have followed the rules. I am holy because I followed these rules. Okay? That's what holiness means. I follow these rules, God. I've, I've done this. Jesus, can't you see I've done this? And Jesus speaks in a loud voice. He says, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And we are to do the same thing. There is no one on this earth that can't be redeemed by the blood of Jesus. There is nothing we have done that cannot be done by, by cannot be redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Do not call what God has made 
clean, do not call it unclean. Do not go there. And if you really don't believe me that this is what God's commandment is, I'm just going to raffle these off for you. I'm just going to be like rapid fire machine gun here so you get it. Matthew 19, 19, honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew 22, 38, 39, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Mark 12, 31 through 33, the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied, you are right in saying that God is the one and there is no other but him. To love him in, with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. The rules. Luke 10, 27, he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Romans 13, 9, the commandment, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covenant. And whatever other command there is, I'm not going to name all, whatever they are, they are summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Galatians 5, 14, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's pretty clear. How do we live a holy life today? is we go and we in relationship, put that key statement up there. We have a relationship grounded in humility and held together by grace. So let's hit on the second two parts of this, humility and grace. Because that's something that we were wrestling with as a teacher team. It's like, okay, so how exactly does this look like? What, is, what do we do? And I want to share a few stories from you is... First, let's talk about, uh, let's put the picture up there of Mary washing the feet of Jesus with her hair. Let's run this through this filter of relationship, humility, and grace. So first off, Mary was a prostitute. She was a female. She wasn't from the right sect. She also walked in with an alabaster jar and she let down her hair, which for women today, that'd be like you disrobing your clothes. That's what that meant in that culture. And Jesus was sitting with all these Sadducees and Pharisees in the room. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience where you're trying to show something or teach something, and there's someone you're really trying to, like, you know, get through. And then all of a sudden, someone comes out of the blue that you're like, why is this person here? Like, they're completely screwing up all that I'm trying to teach and all I'm trying to do and so there's humilities on both sides. Number one is there's humility from Jesus to allow her to come in this moment and to wash his feet with her tears in her hair. He has all the power and he humbles himself to say, this, this is the teaching. This is it. And I will humble myself to allow this to happen. And Mary, think about if you're Mary. Again, you know, take someone of your highest prestige, someone who you hold in such high honor, and at that point you had been caught in something that is just devastating to your character. Something that you know everyone's eyes are on you because you've been caught. And you approach on your hands and knees to the foot of Jesus and you let down your hair and you break all that you have, all the money you have in the world, and you lay it at his feet. And in humility, you say, Jesus, I am broken. 
Take all that I am and I put it at your feet. Humility preceded that relationship. Humility is what caused holiness to break through. Humility breaks down walls and it brings us back to Christ. Now the second part of that story exemplifies grace. And I'm going to read it to you, but I want to make sure I get the right passage here before I go on. See, I never follow these notes. I just keep going, and then I go, where am I again? Um, all right, so Luke 8. Luke chapter 8, 36 through 50 is this story. And I'm going to, I'm going to read the second part of this story. Uh, 8. Is that not the right one? No, that wasn't it. Not Luke 8. Was it John 15? What's the, who, who can shout it out to me? Because I must have written down the wrong one. Luke 10, 27. That one might sound a little better. I don't know what I was looking at then. 10, 27. Nope, that's not it either. I'm in John. Well, that'd be part of the problem. I'm in John. Hey, you know what? When you're up front, crazy things happen. All right, so Luke 10, 27, ah, I don't know, I can't find it, but I can, re I can reemphasize it. So basically, she comes to him, she breaks the glass, she anoints his feet, everyone's aghast. His followers are like, that money could have been used to save the poor. The Sadducees and the Pharisees are like, do you know who this woman is? If you knew who this woman is, you wouldn't touch them. Because just like Peter, that's the unholies of holies. You're not supposed to touch that person. And Jesus then goes into a story and he says, if you had someone who sinned greatly or someone who didn't sin at all, and you had a worker that was working and, and one completely stole everything from his father and, or from his, his employer and one stole very little and the, the employer forgave them, who would be shown more mercy? Who would, be, who would be shown more grace? Well, it's obviously the one that has done more. And in that, Jesus demonstrated through his teachings that his grace is sufficient for all. It's sufficient for those that get hung up on the things that are of control, and it's sufficient for those that have done so things that are so far great that you've realized, how could I ever approach the throne? And relationships are messy, right? Relationships are extremely messy. Relationships are, are messy between God and you, and they're also messy between you and others because we're broken people. And so number one is you've got to be coming to those relationships in humility, but they have to be wrapped in grace because we're going to have to forgive. We have to forgive ourselves. We have to forgive others. Others have to forgive us. Otherwise, everything just seizes up and it stops. Because grace has to permeate through our, our bones, our body. Constantly. Because here's the thing, is each one of you describe like that holy moment. And holy moments are a blessing from God. They reveal God's presence. They show it. But the problem is there's moments after the holy, the holy time, right? In those holy moments, you feel God's presence. Then there's times afterwards where you're like, where did that holy moment go? I can't remember what that was. And that's where you need humility, and that's where grace comes in. It's kind of like an engine. You need oil to keep it graced. Otherwise, that engine seizes up. And grace is that, that oil that comes upon us. 
And there's two things that usually happen with grace. And one of the questions that I have been pondering all week is, why are we so afraid of grace? Sometimes I receive grace, and sometimes I don't. But why am I so, so afraid of grace? And I go to two different spots, and there's different parts of my life when this happens. Is number one is sometimes I feel like I can control the situation. So if I don't extend grace, if I feel like I can control the outcomes, um, if I can be the judge and the juror, somehow that means I'm going to be in control in the situation. Which, again, is completely false and completely from God. But how many of us go to that? We're, we're in this spot of holiness, and then over time we drift and we decide, you know what, we know better. We know what's good and right and wrong. We have an understanding of that. I can judge this. I don't need God's grace to judge this. I am going to judge this. And why do I do that? Usually because I'm fearful I'm going to lose control. Because if I forgive that person, if I go extend grace to that person, well, then what are they going to do with it? Right? And I move to here, and what am I doing is I'm becoming a little mini God that can have decisions. And God didn't die for that. He is the one that extends grace. We have no right to even approach the throne, but yet he made a way for us. And we have no right to judge because people are going to make the way for us. And so how do we live in tension of set apart but also engage with the world? Is we got grace. When's the last time you've ever, ever, ever had the time where you're thinking, man, there's just too much grace in this world. I just wish there was less grace because that just screwed everything up. You know, when grace was extended, all of a sudden everything went to hell in a handbasket. No. Lead with grace. And at the same side, sometimes I go to this side of the, of the stage. And I think I have done something so impure, so off kilter, so far from what God has wanted me to do, and I know it in my heart, and yet I did it anyway. And there is no way that a holy God would ever come to me and say, you're forgiven. You are made whiter than snow. Through me and through my death on the cross, you can approach me. It's okay. And I basically become this fatalistic mentality of, well, I screwed up. I can't be used anymore. I'm too far from God. I guess this is my lot in life. And that is a lie from the devil. Because grace is never too big. Grace is never too far. We can always approach the throne. So as I close, I invite the worship team up here. How does this look like today? And, you know, I could tell some big story, which I thought about doing. There's some pretty incredible ones that I've had of just deep forgiveness. But you know what? It's in the little things that God moves. It's not in the grandiose. It's not in the huge, major impact moments. The kingdom of God happens when we live in the daily tension of our daily lives. And so we were praying as a, as a, as a team of teachers, and, you know, this has been on my mind. And it's about a week and a half ago, I was going into work, and, and I try to go to work early because I like to have about an hour before anyone gets there. So it's about 6.45, and I'm driving to Pella. I work downtown right by the, um, across from the Mall and Grot, and I park over by the library by Second Reformed Church. 
And in that library parking lot, as I'm pulling into there, and again, I've got eyes because I'm connected. I've been trying to connect back to the, the level four, not level three, level four. So I've been trying to see these eyes. And as I pull down the street, all of a sudden I look over to my left, and here is an African-American man smoking a cigarette, sitting over here, smoking a cigarette on his phone with his hood up. And I had a moment right there where I could have chosen, what am I going to do? I could have just as easily gone into work that day and gone on with my day. But God in his graciousness has allowed me to go to Haiti a lot of times, and I know what it's like to be a white man in a black man's world. There are plenty of times I've been on the side of the road that I've been like, God, what are you doing? Why am I here? There's no one. I'm looking around, and there is no one like me here. And I am the one that's standing out. And I thought to myself, I don't know this man, but at 6.45 in the morning in Pella, Iowa, sitting along a roadside, I'm guessing he probably needs help. So I got out of my car, and I did the, okay, I'm in a quick glance. Because again, and the thing is, is, here's the thing, is level three, level three thinking in this day of age tells me, don't approach a black man that's smoking a cigarette in the dark of the night with his hood up, right? That's what the world tells us to do, is somehow, some way, we should be living in fear and afraid, so don't, don't engage in that. Don't engage in that. Stay away from that. But God didn't because I was sitting in level four at that moment. And I'm, I can't always be there, but I was sitting in level four. And I'm like, you know what? In humility and grace, I'm going to approach him. And so I walked up to him and I said, hey, you know, you, you need help? He goes, oh, man, absolutely. I, I, I need help. I, like, I was sitting here. I was like, I don't know what to do. He says, I just got off my third shift. Uh, I'm a painter at Weiler in Knoxville. My wife works in Grinnell. She was supposed to be at work at six, but she's missing her shift today. She had to call in. And I don't have anyone to call. I don't know anyone, anyone here. I was going to try to call maybe roadside assistance or something. I said, well, I can probably come and, come and give you a jump. And so I pull my car up there, and of course his battery's dead as it dead can be. So it took about 20 minutes for it to get enough charge for it to jump. But here's what I learned. His name is Miles. Miles is from Peoria, Illinois. He's lived in, he's lived in Pella for seven years. And he's like, I love this place. I'm like, honestly, I was like, really? I'm kind of surprised. I mean, it's great. And I'm like, that's fantastic. He's like, this is my home. And he starts talking about there's a, you know, that Casey's came in downtown and the whole downtown's getting rebuilt now. And there's a new place coming over here. And, and, you know, that Dutch fixed place, they're going to move downtown. Oh, did you know that? And I'm like, well, I'm from here, but yeah, absolutely. That's great. And he had obviously, he's like, you know, and sometimes I go across the street and, and I, I have a beer with Monk who I, I know Monk and he lives over here. And, and he's like, you know, but it's like, I, I literally have been working all night. I got off, and I was like, I don't know what to do here. I don't know where to go. But I found out, he's like, and I was like, so we start talking more. He's like, well, he's got 14 grandkids. And I'm pretty sure he came here, and I didn't ask this specifically, but he's like, I came here through Calvary Church, and I'm pretty sure it was through um, some of the ministry programs that they run. And he's like, I got 14 grandkids. I've never been able to bring them to Pell yet, but I am so excited to bring them here. I am so excited to bring my grandkids here. He says, and I call back home to my family and my friends, and, and they kind of make fun of me. They're like, you know, you know, brother? He's like, Brother Miles, it's like, you went out of the hood and you went into the woods. <laughs> but he's like, you know what? And, and back at home, it's like also our bars and funeral homes. There's just death. There's death back in there. And I come here, and there's churches on every corner. There's people that come like this and they jump my car. 
And so we had an exchange, jumped his car. Literally, the words out of his mouth was, praise Jesus, you showed up today because you just made my day. And there's nothing major that I did there. I just engaged in the tension of, I'm not going to listen to the lies of, of level three. I'm going to listen to the, the king of kings and the lower lords, and I'm going to engage. And now you know what? When I see Miles on the street, I'm going to smile at him, and I'm going to give him a high five, and I hope someday I get to meet his grandkids. Because he lives right by where I work. I'm going to see him every day when I go there now. And that's what it means to be holy. We just have to engage in relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and our neighbors in humility and grace. And when, he, when you do that, God shows up and he does incredible things. Stand in the tension of that. Be holy in all that you do because God will work.